This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Amen, amen. Philippians chapter 2. Now last week, the whole lesson came out of the second paragraph, which began about, it was about the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then that turned into, let's say, a rather direct lesson in humility and in sacrifice. And the one sort of breeds the other. It says in verse 6, that who, speaking of Jesus, who being me, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and in things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the, the lesson there was, essentially was, in humbling ourselves even unto the death of the cross, which for you and I does not usually speak of a literal cross, but speaks of death to sin and death to ourselves. And one usually tends to come after the other. They, they can happen at the same time, I suppose. But death to self, there's a reward for that. People get scared of the death. They get scared of that kind of death and of that sacrifice. And so they avoid it or they look at it with fear. But there's a reward for it. And here's another one of the secrets found in the Christian experience. If we submit ourselves to that kind of death, death to self as well as death to sin, then God, as he exalted Christ and gave him a name that is above every name, he will exalt us also in due time. Now, he won't set us up above Christ, of course not, but he will set us up in so, I want to say, as we are co-heirs with Christ, then certainly we could foresee ourselves being as our master. I think it's scripture, if I remember correctly, that's scripture. Are we not going to rule and reign with him in that eternal perfect state? Certainly we will. That's been promised to us. So if we're not afraid of, or if we're not so afraid that we refuse it, the death of the cross, the death to ourself, as well as death to sin, God will exalt and reward us in due time. And so that segues right into chapter, or verse 12, excuse me, right here in the same chapter. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice two or three lessons right in these two verses right here. First, he commends them for their obedience. He says, wherefore, my beloved, in other words, because of all this we've just discussed concerning humility, unity, service to one another, the humility of Jesus Christ, how he made himself of no reputation, but became a model for us. He made himself like a servant and was found in, the, in fashion as a man, humbled himself, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Because of all of that, beloved, 
as ye have always obeyed, he commends them for their obedience. Say, so you church at Philippi, man, you guys are awesome. You have always obeyed. You haven't fought against the word. You haven't fought against the spirit. You haven't gone out on the internet looking for some kind of a justification for something that is in fact wrong. Because I got a secret for you, okay? You can find a justification for anything if you look hard enough. You don't even have to look hard. Google has made it super easy for people to justify wickedness, justify sin, justify irresponsibility, justify anything that they want to justify. And likewise, you can find something to forbid anything that you want to. I was talking with a brother earlier today in another place about, you know, two different approaches that we can take that we can take towards life. And I don't want to say too much about this. We may be preaching on this before too long. I don't know. We'll see what the Lord wants. But, you know, you can approach life from a from a super strict position of everything is wrong unless the Bible specifically says that it's right. Or you can approach life from the opposite direction of liberty, which is God made everything good. And therefore, all good things can be enjoyed, right? Now, that, that's, a, that's a serious lesson right there, worth more than just a passing reference in tonight's study. So I'm not going to get into it tonight, but it's better to approach things from the side of liberty and let the Word of God put the brakes on our behavior in certain areas where it needs to be. Let the Word of God and the Spirit of God both inform us to dial back on some things because Paul said in another place that all things are lawful, but not all things are, expedi are expedient. So there may be something that's not necessarily wrong, but it may not necessarily be a good idea at that place and time or for testimony's sake or for things like that. He says here, ye have always obeyed. You Philippian Christians, you guys are awesome. You have always obeyed. You've never sought to justify wicked behavior or unwise behavior. You've always sought to obey that which was right. And he says here, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. This speaks of a real depth of character for these Christians at the church in Philippi. Because some people only obey when the preacher's around. Uh oh, look out, look out, pastor's here. Pastor's here, don't do it, don't, stop, stop what you're doing, pastor's here, you don't want them to see you. You know what I'm saying? There are people, oh man, they're hard workers when the boss is around. They're obedient when the preacher's around. But Christian character is never measured by that kind of obedience. It's never measured by that kind of obedience. Christian character is measured at least in part, if not entirely, by what you do when you think nobody's watching. Really. When you think nobody's around to see you, because rest assured, when you think nobody sees you who knows your testimony as a Christian, when you think nobody's around to see what you're doing, rest assured, somebody's going to be there and happens to see when you think you're alone or when you think that you're out of, uh, out of eyesight from somebody or out of earshot from somebody for that matter. Someone's going to be there to catch you in a lapse of character. Here, Paul commends the Philippian Christians. They didn't suffer from that kind of an affliction. They did not let themselves suffer from that kind of an affliction. He said, "Wherein, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul wasn't always there. 
He wasn't their pastor. He was the man who planted that church. We can extrapolate from this text here. And had been to that church before. And so he was here, there, and everywhere. But he was not always at the church in Philippi. Well, in Paul's absence, they strove with clean conscience and a pure mind or a pure conscience. They strove to be obedient even when the preacher wasn't around. That is when your character gets measured. That is when you're found faithful. No one's around to see you because you know. It doesn't matter if the preacher's not there. It doesn't matter if brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so from the church isn't there. Because someone else is there. And even if nobody else is, if you're in a locked room with closed doors and shuttered windows, God is still there, isn't he? And if his presence isn't enough to keep us straight, we just need to get saved. Really. We just really need to experience the born again experience and get right with God and let the blood of Christ wash over our heart and make us into a new creature. If the presence of God isn't enough to keep us straight, then there's just a real lack in our life. And that lack needs to be filled. It needs to be satisfied. So he says, much more in my absence concerning their obedience. And then he says this. And this is a puzzling statement for some that aren't familiar with it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this actually reaches back to that earlier point that we were bringing up that we touched on about how to approach life. Do I approach the Christian life from the super ultra strict, nothing is right, ultra restrictive position? Or do I approach the Christian life from a position of liberty and cleanness and openness of conscience and then let the Lord dial back my behavior from there? So which is preferable? Well, that brings up the greater teaching of rules versus discernment, discernment, power, judgment, and so on, that sort of thing. Rules are fine in their place, I suppose, and they're certainly safe. But when those are the things that govern your life, then you tend to view everybody else's Christian liberty with suspicion and resentment and bitterness and judgment. This is the super judgy, ultra-Christian that's like, man, only four people in this church are saved. Nobody else is right. And then you give it enough time and there aren't even four people in the church that are saved. It's just, it's just me and the pastor and brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And then a little while after that, man, even that sister's not right. It's just me and the pastor. We're the only ones saved. And then after a while, not even the pastor's saved. Not in that person's perception. Man, I can't believe it. I'm the only one in this church saved. And the pastor's not right with God. Really? Now, that's entirely possible. Yes, that's entirely possible in far and extreme extenuating examples, all right? Probably it's not the case. If you think you're the only one saved in the church, it's probably because you don't have enough guts to do anything in your life. Your life is not governed by either the love of God or the power of the Holy Ghost. And it's probably not even governed all that well by the word, by the word necessarily. It's probably governed by a rigid scaffolding of rules that tell you everything is wrong. It's like, I forgot to, I forgot to pray over that piece of candy that I ate. I must have sinned somehow. I need to ask forgiveness. Come on. It's good to pray over your food, but it's not a bondage, all right? It's, it's, not some, it's not something that's gonna send you to hell if you forgot to do. 
but the ultra super strict super Christian views it in that very light. You know, and they feel terribly convicted if they step out of line from that. Likewise, that's, it's the kind of thinking that, that leads whole groups of believers to tear the stereos out of their cars when they buy a car, lest they be tempted to hear worldly music. Why not just not turn it on? I can tell you from experience, it's a whole lot less work. Yes. Pulling out a factory stereo it's like pulling out a wisdom tooth from somebody in their fifties. You gotta break out a you gotta break out the hard power tools to get that job done. Maybe even the concrete saw. I don't know what you need to do that. I just know it's a lot of work. You know, it's that kind of it's that kind of thinking that leads to and again I'm not saying that they're that they're not right with God for this. I'm just saying that that's bondage. That's not liberty. And Jesus Christ died to set us free, didn't he? And so we want to approach we want to approach the Christian life. We want to approach the Christian life from a position of liberty. He's saved you, he's purged you of your old sins, he's changed your nature, and now as you grow in your Christian life, he will show you by the word, by preaching, by teaching, by the conviction of the Holy Ghost, all of these things working together, one or more of them will put that finger on a believer's life and say, hey, Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this thing that you're doing. And then you read it, or the preacher preaches on it, or teaches on it, or just there's a conviction in your heart on it, and so you look it up because you want to know. That's the Christian heart, is wants to know what's right and wrong. All right? The wrong attitude, that's the right attitude to have. The wrong attitude to have is, well, I'm afraid to read the Bible because it might actually show me something that I need to change. That really isn't the Christian attitude. That's not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is a hunger for the word, wants to know. Want to know, as one lady said to me recently, I want black and white. I want black and white. I want to know what's right and what's wrong. So many of the churches that I've worked with or been to, she said, it's like there are, everything's a gray area. Well, admittedly, there are some, but there are very few. And the Bible is remarkably black, black and white on the things that it allows. What, what's up? Why are we bringing all this up? Because of this phrase right here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Best way that I heard it ever described. And I'm not saying it's the best way it's ever been described, but the best way I've ever heard it described was uh, many years ago, a man of God talking about Christian liberty and how, you know, things that are right and things that are wrong. God has given every single believer a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And he places in this verse right here, he places the responsibility on us, the individual Christian, to know when you're venturing into territory that isn't good or that isn't godly or that just isn't ideal. Know when to hit the brakes. Know when you need to take the exit ramp from that, from that path that you're on. Brother, sister, where's the Holy Ghost? He's speaking to you and he puts your hand on he puts his hand on that thing and says, you know, this really isn't this really isn't making you grow in the spirit. At the very least, it's putting your mind and keeping your mind on things of earth. Okay? And at worst, it's getting you infatuated with the things of this world and it's moving your affections back onto the things of this life. 
It's adjusting them in a direction that isn't good. And so what do you do? Well, again, what, what, do you want to, what do you want to feed your soul? He's asking that or he's saying that here. Work out your own salvation. He doesn't mean work for your salvation. We understand that from the Bible, that salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's not worked for, it's not earned. Excuse me, it was worked for. It was worked for by Jesus. He's the one that put in the work and got it done. But he's telling us here, work out your own salvation. Figure it out yourself. There's a lot in the word that directs us what by one way or by another. But there's a lot in the word where he gives us, he gives us the higher teaching on the principle of the matter and then leaves it up to us to actually apply that. Why else do you think that we're not dressing the same way that we did 2,000 years ago? It was an issue of just drawing a black and white box around something and saying this and nothing else. You know, some things you can do that with, but some things have to change with the times. I'm careful to talk about that because then it becomes a, that becomes a license and a justification and excuse by some uh, to use as an occasion for the flesh. But the apostle warns us against that also, doesn't he? Not to use our Christian liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Work out your own salvation. Approach the Christian life from a position of liberty, but let the Spirit of God and the Word of God calibrate. That's a good word for it. Calibrate that liberty. You know what calibrate means? You have some sort of an, an instrument that measures things. Well, it can get knocked out of tune or out of calibration. You find that uh, most often with with uh, mechanical scales that you step on to weigh yourself. How fat am I or how heavy am I? Probably that's probably a more tactful way to put it. Sorry. You know, how heavy am I? Well, you stand on that thing and the springs blow out and you'll be you'll be tempted to say, I must not have calibrated this thing before I used it, you know, so you put the springs back in it if it's not hopelessly broken and you set that thing to true zero when there's nothing standing on it. You have calibrated your scale. It's the same thing with our liberties in Christ. We know that we should not sin. That's a given. That's true zero on the scale right there. But as far as the things that we allow ourselves to do, and there's a balance in there too, okay? Because the Bible tells us, happy is the man that condemneth not himself in the thing that he allows. But then we have Paul over here in the New Testament balancing and calibrating that so you don't run to an extreme. Oh, well, I've just robbed banks and I'm happy because my conscience doesn't condemn me. Your conscience is broken. Your scale's busted if, you're, if, if that's the way that you are, and you need to get it fixed. So there's Paul over here saying, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And there's also Paul over here balancing it, saying, you know, spelling out the works of the flesh and making it clear that they which do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you balance it. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? How do I do that? You learn how to do it. You learn it in the teachings. And one of the, one of the things that's uh, one of the, probably one of the best examples of this sort of thing is on the subject of entertainment, right? Now, 40 years ago, even 30 years ago, it was easy. It was easy for preachers to just put the complete smackdown on all television and just say, you know what, if you're a Christian, you ought to take that one-eyed devil out to your dumpster, put some lighter fluid on it, and burn it and just condemn the whole medium, right? It was easy to do that. 
Movies, TV, all that stuff, burn it all. It was easy to say that because that form of media wasn't so ubiquitous. It means it's everywhere. It's gotten into everything. It's all over the place. But now with the advent of the personal computer and especially with the advent of the internet, that was really the kicker right there. Well, it's, it's everywhere. So you can throw your TV out. And I still encourage someone to do it. Sell that thing. Get the money. Pay off a bill. You know, be a, bless yourself like that. Yeah, and then get something decent to eat. Why not? You know? So while, while you can do that, you still have a computer, probably. Most people, I think, we've, we've long since crossed the threshold where the majority of households, it's not like 90% or anything like that, but it's, it's getting towards it. The majority of households are internet connected. And so every computer is now turned into a television and a movie theater, especially where if you know where the pirated movie sites are, you know, and far worse. Every computer has the potential to be all these things, including a dirty movie theater. Not that Hollywood's much cleaner than the rated X stuff, I imagine. They're putting just about everything out there. It hasn't gotten better. It's Hollywood. You know, what kind of expectations can we reasonably have? Not good ones. And so, gas pedal, brake pedal. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that you've sinned if you've looked at if you looked at an old rerun of MASH or something like that. Oh, you're going to hell because you've done that. I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you that stuff like that, even in its even at its best, stuff like that is empty calories, spiritually speaking. And while a little bit of empty calories may not hurt you, it certainly isn't going to hurt, it certainly isn't going to help you. And if you're drinking a whole lot of that stuff, if you're feeding a whole lot of that stuff to your mind, well, then it's definitely going to impact your spirituality. It's definitely going to in impact your relationship with God and not for the better. It's just like eating too much junk food, fast food, or, or, or you know, too much of anything that's not good for a person. A little bit won't kill you, but a lot will. And a little leads to a lot. So learn, Christian. Take upon yourself the individual responsibility for your Christianity and your relationship with God, your walk with God. Take that upon yourself and learn when to hit the brakes. Learn when to steer off of that entire path when necessary. I once heard a man of God, and I mean a real man of God, okay, uh, make a statement that every now and then he would, even, uh, he would even take control of something in his life that was in no way bad or wrong. He would just stop doing it for a while just to remind his own flesh that he was in control, not his flesh. Meaning, I, I, from the context of his teaching, meaning from, you know, his mind, his spirit, the spirit of God in him was in control, not his flesh. It's a good thing to do sometimes. You know, the Bible teaches about fasting, you know, denying your natural appetite for food for different reasons. Sometimes it was fasting for mourning. Something bad had happened in your life and you were in mourning over it. And so you fasted for that. And a lot of but the best use of it is to, you know, clear your mind and bring your flesh back under subjection when it's had a little bit too much leeway. But it leaves it on us to know when to do that as individual believers. Work out your own salvation. Work out your own temperance for that matter. Your own self-control. We can preach and teach until we're blue in the face and have often done so. It is on you as individual believers 
to recognize in your life. Yeah, you know, this thing isn't technically wrong, but I think I've had, I think I've had more than enough of it for a while. So I think I'm going to dial back. Or maybe even something that you're like, you know what? This may not necessarily be bad, but I think my whole life would be better without it. And I think I have a lot, close, a lot closer walk with God and a lot fewer distractions without it. Let me just take this thing, and I keep wanting to use television as an example because of what that author said you ought to do. Pull the plug, strip the insulation off that thing, wrap it around an iron spike, plug it back into the wall, see what blows and how far. Just an idea, he said. So just an idea, I'm saying, really don't do that. Just better ways to get rid of it than risk shocking yourself and causing fires and blowing up power transformers. It's up to us as individual believers to know when something is too much or even enough or even you don't even want to get to the point of enough. You're just like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm, this is not a good thing. I'm done. We're going to get this out and we're going to move on. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And there's that right there. Fear and trembling. I don't want to make a bigger issue of this than it is, but I do want, I don't want to just skip over it. Remember Paul's teaching style. Many words, none of them wasted. None of them were just fluff. He didn't even get, even in his repetition, it was to reinforce a point with, with greater substance than the first time around on it. So he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean by that? And this actually came up in the Bible study earlier today out of Matthew. We discussed certain things out of the, from uh, the demon-possessed men of the, uh, of the, the Gergenses. I forget exactly how you pronounce that. One right way and probably a dozen wrong ways. There has fallen by the wayside in American churches holy fear, godly fear and reverence. Now, we don't like to place an overemphasis on that because we're not trying to terrify people. Our service for God is not fear-based. Well, that happens more times in newer Christians than in older Christians. What happens with the Christian is they learn about the love of God and they learn, they learn about God's grace and His mercy and all of that. And then as they get familiar with it, they become over-familiar with it. And then when they get over-familiar with it, they forget that God is a judge. And so he mentions fear and trembling in this thing for a reason. He's not trying to get us to be terrified of our Heavenly Father. But he is reminding us, God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. He's going to judge one day. And so in the things that we do, in the things that we allow, work out your own salvation. Work it out yourself. You know, you're, we're, we're well equipped to do that. It's not like we don't have the tools. We have the whole Word of God and we have the Holy Spirit. When you've got both of those working in your life, you've got everything that you need. But it's an acceptance of personal responsibility on your shoulders. Grow into it. Grow into that responsibility. 
It's like, well, all right, well, I've had my, what if I have my foot too much on the gas pedal and I, and I end up in trouble from it somehow? Then in fear and trembling, you repent and you back off and you work it out. And then you've learned your limitation on that thing, haven't you? It's a lot like growing up in the real world, natural growth. As we went from infants to toddlers to teenagers to adolescents to adults, you, you, you tested your limits sometimes and maybe got yourself in trouble. How many of you ever wiped out on a bicycle? I mean, that's like part and parcel for childhood right there. You skinned knees and elbows unless you had parents that bubble wrapped you and never let you do anything. Enter the natural example of a person uh, approaching life from ultra restriction. They never let you do anything. So you never learned what your limitations were. So you never experienced what it was like to wipe out. Well, in the Christian life, if you're going to be free, it's like we said, Reverend Ryder, I think you said it to me. Freedom's dangerous, isn't it? Freedom is dangerous, but it's wonderful and it's glorious. And you learn from your mistakes. Brothers and sisters, learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. And better than that, learn from the mistakes of others. That's a whole lot easier. That's a whole lot easier than learning from your, your own mistakes. You see somebody that blows out because of some sin in their life, learn from their mistake. Dial back on the speed if you're involved in anything that they were involved in. Or if it was an, you know, it was an outright sin or something like that, then you know that's a sucker's road. And if you're on the same road, you take an exit ramp because you've learned from someone else's experience. Work it out. That's the, that is the prime lesson of this paragraph here, verses 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation. And it's a lot easier to do so if we are like the Philippian Christians who practiced obedience all the time, whether in the apostles' presence or not, in the preacher's presence or not, in the presence of other brethren or not. It's what you do when you don't think people are watching. And so let's just summarize it with this, okay? You practice obedience no matter who's around because it's never about that. We obey because obedience is right, okay? And then having a mind and a heart oriented towards that already, we're much better equipped to work out our own salvation and practice good judgment and discernment on the matter and listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost when he taps us and says, this is the way, walk ye in it, not that way. This is the way, not that way. Come on back into this. Take the exit ramp. Come on back into this. And this will keep you on the straight and narrow. Something like that. Okay? So we practice obedience always. We're much better equipped to work out our own salvation and in fear and in trembling. Remembering it's not a game we're involved in. It's a life. And we only get one of these. We got one time through. That's it. So with some real reverence for God and some real caution and care, okay, work it out and let the Lord, as I said to a lady earlier this week, I think it was on Twitter, the word is your map. The spirit is your guide. You have both of those. There's no way you should get lost. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, 
and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.